We are in Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to pick it up reading from verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. Genesis 41.15 Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and the ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had, they had devoured them. <clears throat> for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears full of good, full of good came up, on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. <clears throat> the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. The seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, <clears throat> God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance <clears throat> are coming in all the land. <clears throat> in all the land of Egypt. And after them seven ear years of famine <clears throat> will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, <clears throat> for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action <clears throat> to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. <clears throat> then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land <clears throat> for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. <clears throat> okay, so he tells the dream to Joseph, <clears throat> the dream as, as, it was, uh, <clears throat> as it had come to him. <clears throat> and you can see, you can see that um, in verse 15 he says, to Joseph, but no one can interpret it for me. He says the same thing down in verse, in verse, uh, 
24. No one, there, there was no one who could explain it to me. No one could interpret it. No one could explain it. And so you can just envision all these wise men and magicians and professors standing there. And Pharaoh's pretty upset. And Pharaoh says, nobody could interpret this. And he's probably still looking over at these guys. Nobody can interpret it. Oh, nobody could interpret it. He is reminding Joseph that none of his wise men, none of the people that are, that are paid to be able to do this <clears throat> have been able to do it. <clears throat> so he, he, gives the, uh, he, ge- he tells him the dream. And then, Pharaoh, then, then Joseph says to Pharaoh in verse 25, the first thing he says is that the dreams are one and the same. He says it again in verse 26, the two dreams are one and the same. So that already is simplifying the issue. If you have, if you have an equation you're trying to solve, and then you're immediately told that you have a second equation which has, <clears throat> which has the same answer, <clears throat> which has the same answer, then, then you're, you're, you're able to, you're able to, um, uh, uh, you're able to, to simplify the, the, the equation by having two systems. So he says, these are really two dreams. They're one and the same. <clears throat> and then, then he goes through and he says, uh, he says they're, they're one and the same. He says you have these these seven good cows or seven years. These these other seven these other seven are, are uh, the 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 seven ugly and the the seven bad are seven years. <clears throat> then he says he says here that. Uh, um, it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh in verse 28. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So God is sharing with Pharaoh what he's about to do. Here you have God sharing with a Gentile king, King Pharaoh of Egypt, what he's about to do. God is sharing with him what he's about to do. God is so gracious, so giving, and so kind. If he's sharing with an unbelieving king, how much does he try to share with us things that are going on, things that we're going to be confronting? But sometimes we don't hear, sometimes we don't understand, and God is communicating with us, and will we give him time to communicate and try to hear from him? This is, it says that God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is explaining to him what he is about to do. This is what he's doing. He's explaining to him what he's about to do. So his intent the whole time in all of this is to save Egypt. Something is coming upon Egypt, and but his intent in this is to save Egypt. This is his intent. His intent is not for evil, but for good. His intent is to do Egypt and do the world good. He's intending, he's communicating with us words of truth to keep us from troubles that are going to be coming upon our lives. His intent in all of this is to save Egypt and to save Israel, or the Hebrews, in the process. Then he says in verse 29, there's going to be seven years of abundance. And not just abundance, he says great abundance. Seven years of great abundance. You're going to have this enormous abundance. Seven years of it is going to come. Seven years of great abundance are going to come upon you. And then he says, but all of that's going to be forgotten, because the famine in verse 30 will ravage the land. It will utterly destroy it. So that, in verse 31, the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. 
We have seen a little bit of that in the world in which we live today. The stock market has been going crazy, was going crazy for three years, just going up and up and up. And, and the economy was just humming. And then, and then this plague hit the world and things have teetered. People have been out of work and it's very easy to forget the three years of abundance that we had. They had seven years of abundance, but he says all of that is going to be forgotten. So for six months, we've had this plague hit the United States and hit much of the rest of the world. But imagine seven years, imagine seven years of a plague, seven years of no overflowing of the banks of the Nile, seven years of no watering that land. And that land is extremely dry. There's no rain there. So if the banks of the Nile don't overflow, there's nothing. There's nothing there. And uh, so we looked at the Nile last time. But you, you see here that he says it's going to be so severe, everything is going to be destroyed. And, and he says it's going to ravage the land. So in other words, this is going to be so bad that Pharaoh, your leadership is even in question. I mean, if the land is ravaged for seven years, imagine the number of people that are going to die. Imagine the discontent. When people are discontent and they don't have food, they don't have jobs, and <clears throat> they get very ups- upset with the governing authorities. And uh, so Pharaoh really takes this to heart. It says in verse 32, Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. That's very interesting. He says, because it was repeated twice, it means it's going to happen quickly. So in other words, this is not an interpretation based on some divine revelation. That part of the interpretation comes just by general knowledge of having to interpret dreams. If a dream is repeated twice, it means this. I'm not telling you that. Jim Tour's not telling you that. That's what Joseph says. In other words, this is the documented way of interpreting dreams. If a dream is given twice by underscoring it with these two segments, it means it's going to happen quickly. So there are certain things where he's receiving revelation. There are other things that are known to those from whom interpretations are, are given. So there, there's sometimes, you know, somebody will ask me a chemistry question. I know that because it's well documented in chemistry. I didn't have to, wow, scratch my head and try to figure out the mechanism of what's going on. It's already well known. It's already well known. And so he says, because it was repeated, that means it's going to happen quickly. So Pharaoh is probably taken aback by this. If somebody tells you your whole kingdom is going to come to, to an end, your land is going to be ravaged. You're not going to be spared. I mean, everybody is going to be impacted. And if you have seven years, this is not just one year of famine. Seven years of famine, people are dead all over the place. And there's discontent. And, you know, you, you, you might not even have a nation after this. The whole nation of Egypt might be gone forever if there's, if there's uh, uh, seven years of famine. So in verse 33... The whole thing changes now in verse 33. Pharaoh never asked Joseph his opinion. He only asked him to interpret the dream. He never asked Joseph to give me your opinion. What should we do? None of that. Joseph finishes with the dream. Pharaoh is probably devastated. And then Joseph then comes in in verse 33. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. There was no request for your advice. Who are you? 
a Hebrew in a prison, from a prison, giving me advice. I know what I'm doing. No, this man was received a word that was utterly devastating. So this word that's utterly devastating then, after he receives this, then Joseph immediately doesn't ask, he immediately comes with some advice. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. I don't think that he was canvassing for his own job. I mean, it would be too incredible. I mean, Pharaoh must have very skilled people in his kingdom. He probably has many, many ministers in his kingdom that that can take care of this. And he says, let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land. So in addition to this one man who's going to be put in charge of the land, get other overseers at his side and put in charge of the land and let them exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. So for seven years, exact charge a 20% tax on the land, 20% tax where you're going to take 20% of that overabundant uh, 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 production that the land is going to give. 20% of that you're going to put aside. So one-fifth of that you're going to put aside for seven years because one-fifth of that is going to be enough to sustain the land. That's how much the overabundance was. And he says, he says uh, uh, do this, and he says, put others in charge uh, of, of this. And he says in, in verse 35, then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority. So again, he's stressing, this is all under your authority. You're going to be in charge of everything. We're not trying to bring in new leadership. It's under your authority, under Pharaoh's authority, under, and let them guard it. In other words, when you put aside this 20%, you're going to have to guard it because that's going to have great value. This, I mean, this is a wise man. Joseph is a, an amazing guy. Remember, he could, he took care of his father's business. His father sent him to check on his brothers. Even at the age of 17, when he gets in Potiphar's house, he's elevated to running Potiphar's house because he was so skilled in management. When he gets into the prison, again, his management skills comes in and he is so skilled in management. And so he says, you're going to have to guard this thing. And, and this thing of just being, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to watch. No, he, he understood. You have to watch this stuff. You have to keep an eye on it. And he says in verse 36, let the food become a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land so that the land will not perish during the famine. And the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. So, He gave him this unsolicited advice. Daniel did the same thing. So when Daniel was asked by by Nebuchadnezzar to interpret his dream, without even asking, Daniel interprets the dream and then gives gives some advice. So he says, uh, um, uh, so this is in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, he finishes the interpretation of the dream in verse 26. Daniel chapter 4, verse 26. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. So as soon as he finishes that word, he immediately comes with some advice. Verse 27, Daniel says, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. 
So he immediately gives him some advice. He says, you know, you're going to have to, if you change your ways and start break away from your sins. Imagine telling Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't as nice as Pharaoh. When Pharaoh didn't get an interpretation of his dreams, he just kind of pointed the guys out. He says, these guys couldn't interpret it. When Nebuchadnezzar's wise men couldn't give him an interpretation, he set to kill them all. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a lot more violent. Daniel says to him, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Um, so, uh, Mike, I think somebody has unmuted themselves. If you go to the, to the participants, you'll see who's done, unmuted themselves. Remute them, please. And, and, uh, uh, so, so you, 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 so he, he sees, he sees this, he says, you can change this by changing your ways, by changing your attitude, you can delay this. Now, one of the things that's really important here, this is God-ordained. God is going to bring prosperity, and then He's going to bring a famine. He's going to bring prosperity, and then He's going to bring a famine. That's what He's going to do. So this is ordained by God. But now, what's interesting is, you can have an intervention, a human intervention, to spare the world the effects, the negative effects that are due to come in because God has brought in a famine. So God intends for a famine to come and this famine is going to ravage that society. But there is something that human beings can do such that the ravaging doesn't occur. Isn't that interesting? That there is trouble coming upon the world but God gives insight that if you do this, this, and this, the trouble is going to come on the world, but you are going to be spared. It is so interesting that God can come with a precise word of ravaging that's going to wipe out, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people. But with that, He gives people a string of things that they can do to preserve themselves. So God's intent is not to totally destroy them. God's intent is to give them a way out. God's intent is to give a way out. He does this over and over again. I mean, the Bible talks about this sort of thing over and over again. So, for example, in Romans chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Romans chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. If a person does evil, there is going to be tribulation for their souls of the Jew first and also of the Greek. That means everybody. He says, I don't care what covenant you're under. To the Jew or the Gentile, the Jew or the Greek, you're under this. If you're going to do evil, your soul is going to suffer. That's what he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 9. But then in chapter 10 he says, But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you do evil... If, if somebody does evil, for every soul of man who does evil, that soul is going to spend forever in torment. That's what God says. He says, I don't care if you're Jewish, I don't care if you're, you're Gentile, it's going to happen. But if, he says, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says this again, if you look in, in, uh, in Psalm 1, 
Psalm 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. It says that if we avoid evil, we are going to undergo prosperity in our lives. But then he says, and the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. He says, if there is troubles, there are troubles that are going to come upon you if you act a certain way. And if you act another way, you're going to be spared of a lot of troubles. That's what he says. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There are things that you can do. There are things that human beings can do to affect for them what's going to happen for them that very day, what's going to happen to them in the future. If we dwell on things that are negative all day, he says you dwell on things that are good, right, holy, honorable. If you dwell on the things over and over again, things that are painful and hard, and you just think about all the negative things in life, it's just going to draw you down. From that very day, there are things that human beings can do to affect the course of what happens to human beings. This is exactly what he says. Your land is going to be ravaged, but if we do this, we're going to be spared. The ravaging is going to come upon the world, but as far as your people, you're going to be spared. The other interesting thing is here, is he gives him a word of hope. He doesn't just tell him these negative things that are going to come upon him and leave them there. The gospel is good news, not bad news. But very often, you have to give the bad news so that people understand the good news. The bad news is that you're a sinner. People are sinners. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. The Bible says there is nothing you can do to change that. The Bible says there is no works that you can do. In Ephesians chapter 2, no work that you can do to bring yourself to God. You are a sinner. You are separated from God. Then it says the wages of sin is death. It is eternal separation. That's all the bad news. But we don't preach the gospel and leave it there. We always come with the good news that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. There is good news. There is destruction awaiting your soul. But there is a way of escape. There is good news. He immediately offered to him the good news. He didn't leave Pharaoh in just a state of shock and devastation. He looked at Pharaoh. He says, but here's what you can do. He gives him a word of hope. When someone comes with a diagnosis and then the prescription for how to solve this problem, it gives a person tremendous hope. I'll give you an example. And, 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 and then you trust them. You trust that person because they were able to diagnose it and they came with the prescription on how to get this thing better and then your trust goes out to that person. When I was in, in, my, in my first two years of college, I suffered tremendously with congenital scarring in my ureter, just, just beyond my, my, my kidney. And this scar tissue was building up and was causing my kidney to expand. 
And that was happening over a period of many years, but it got really bad the last, the, the, my, my, when I was 18 and 19 years old, really bad, such that every two days a week I was in bed, just with extreme pain. It's like having a kidney stone for two years. And uh, I was diagnosed with a spastic colon. It was wrongly diagnosed. So finally, I mean, I was just, just in terrible pain for two years. And, and finally, when it was rightly diagnosed, I, there was a, a, a doctor that rightly diagnosed this. And uh, um, I was up in Syracuse, New York. It was the summer after my sophomore year. And the, the surgeon called my parents because I was just 19. He called my parents and he spoke to them on the phone. He says, look, you're going to have to find a young surgeon, because they wanted to bring me back down to New York City for the surgery. And he said, you're going to have to find a young surgeon that understands these newer techniques, because we don't have to remove the kidney. We can remove that scar tissue, put a flap from the ureter, and build a new flap from the ureter to the, to the kidney, and there's this technique. And, and so that was, that, was, uh, um, that was 40 years ago. And so, so more than 40 years ago, so, so at the time it was a new technique. And as this surgeon was telling my parents to find a surgeon that understands this, my parents were saying to each other, they told me, why not just have this guy do it? Just have him stay right there in Syracuse and have this guy do it. And they had him do it because they trusted him because he had finally diagnosed me properly when so many people had misdiagnosed me. And he had the solution for it. So he did the surgery and I've been better ever since. And so, you, you know, the same sort of thing. One day my, my daughter fell off the swing set and, and, uh, and I, was wa I was watching her. She fell off. The, the ladder was wet and she was climbing up and she fell and her arm was behind her when she fell onto it. And it looked very awkward. And when I picked her up, her arm was shorter. One arm was shorter by about that much than her other arm. It was, it was totally broken right here and shoved up inside. And she didn't even feel the pain. She wanted to keep climbing up. And I was just in shock. I knew her arm was broken. And and uh, I'm wondering, is she ever going to be able to use this arm again? It was just, it was just devastated in my mind. We got to the, we got her to the emergency room, and uh, and then the, the 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 pediatric surgeon comes in, and uh, uh, he he comes in and, and he he shows me the X-ray, and her arm is totally broken and driven up into here, and I'm I'm devastated. And he says, look, we can take this, we can align this, I'll shoot in two pins. They'll be in her elbow for six weeks holding it fast then we'll take the uh, the the pins out and she'll be good as new i was like good as new six weeks yeah do it when somebody is able to diagnose the problem and then give you a prescription for solution you just trust them and i've seen this before in other people's lives when when, when they've gotten a, a a diagnosis from a doctor who tells them exactly what they have to do to get better you trust he comes with the diagnosis and then he comes with a prescription for what's good. So immediately he trusts him. But the key is he he didn't ask him, um, uh, do you think I can give you this word? So when I lead people to the Lord, when I give them the gospel and I tell them this hardship that's going to come upon them, I'll even show them verses about the fire that's going to come upon them, that they're going to go into a lake of fire. I'll give them these verses. I don't mind doing this. And then, then I'll share with them the hope, though, that there is a way out. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you confess your, with your mouth that he's risen from the dead after we discuss the resurrection, you can be saved. You can be saved from this. And then I never say to them, I know many people do this, but I never do it. I never say to them, 
Um, would, would you like to pray with me? Would you like to pray to receive Jesus right now? I know that typically people ask that. I never do. I will never ask people, would you like to pray with me? Because I already know the answer. The answer is no. People are, are just geared to say no. It's like, like, like a two-year-old. Whatever you ask them, no. You're, no, no. That's what people are for the gospel. That's what people are when it's time to get saved. Would you like to pray to receive Jesus in your heart? No. They are just programmed for that. So I don't ask them. I just give them the bad news. I give them the good news. And then I say, I am going to pray. You pray with me and invite Jesus in your heart. Okay. I mean, I just tell them what I'm going to do. And then they don't resist me. I will never ask them. That's, that's the way for failure. I know what's good. I don't ask them. He didn't ask Pharaoh. Uh, you know, I'm just a stinking Hebrew slave who ends up in prison. Um, do you mind if I just speak a word to Pharaoh? Please, please, may I? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He just speaks it. He gives that word to Pharaoh. Who does he think he is? Who does Jim Tour think he is that he says, I'm going to pray and you're going to pray with me? Who do I think I am? Uh, how about a child of God, a child of the Lord Jesus Christ who has commissioned me to do this? How's that? How's that? Is that good enough? I mean, who, who is Joseph to do this? Joseph just, boom, gives him the word. Who is Daniel to just immediately give the advice and say, look, if you turn from your sins... You can delay this thing. Start doing good to the poor. He specifically told him, exactly, he didn't just say, turn away from your sins. He told him exactly what he had to do. Be, do some good to the poor and you'll be all right. Do some good to the poor and everything will go well. That's what he told him. He gave him specific things he could do. And I don't leave him after we pray. I don't leave him and just say, okay, boom, we're done. No, I give them something. I give them a booklet. I give them, I give them some information and I pair them up with somebody for a Bible study to begin to carry that thing out. If you don't know the Lord, I'll tell you what awaits you is terrible. It is terrible. You will be in a lake of fire. How do I know? Because every word in the Bible is true. And it says the lake of fire is a lake of burning sulfur. It is just terrible what awaits you. And pain also in this life. Pain and divorce and trouble awaits you in this life. But if you give your life to Jesus, there is so much blessing that can come if you'll be willing to follow in the ways of God. I urge you this day to turn to Him. Turn to Jesus. There is so much for you. There is hope for you. And that's why Joseph says, look, there's hope for you. This is what you do. Let me go through with you the steps. You take, you appoint a man who works for you. You appoint a man. You Put him as overseer. You put lots of other men with him to oversee in each city to exact 20%. There's going to be such an abundance. You're taking 20% and you put this thing aside. And that will serve to mitigate any problems that are going to come during the seven years of famine. That can be, you, you can do away with this. There'd be no trouble with this. He gives them this hope. There is this hope that comes in Jesus Christ. There is hope. And it's very specific. It's not just a general thing that, well, you know, just be good and everything will be all right. No way. No way. It's not just be good. The Bible is full of specific specifics. Every page is dealing 
with specific actions that we are to take to follow in obedience to God. That's why in Psalm 1, it says, if we will make the Word of God our meditation, here's the things that are going to come upon you. If you will daily meditate on the Word of God, you are going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. The vast majority, the vast majority of people that come to me for counseling, and I don't know why they come to me because I'm not a counselor, but, but they come to me. The vast majority of people that come to me for counseling that they're just kind of getting beat up in their lives and they can't get anything spiritually right and things are falling apart, they do not meditate on the Scriptures every day. And then I go over with them the verses from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, Psalm 1, uh, um, Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2. I go through with them the verses that, that if you make this Word of God your meditation, these blessings that are going to come upon you, Deuteronomy chapter 17, the blessings that are going to come upon you if you make the Word of God your meditation, if you will meditate on this Word of God, and meditation is not just speed reading. Meditation is the opposite of speed reading. And if you just say, well, I listen to my Bible at 1.5x or 2x, and that's how I do my Bible reading, is I just listen to it, and you will no way hear God. It is very slow. Meditation is slow, pensive, and deliberate. It is reading over and over again a passage saying, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through this passage. And then all of a sudden your eyes get stopped on a verse. You say, Lord, what, why do I keep going back reading this verse? What are you trying to say? Speak to me, Lord. Lord, speak to me. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you. And when He speaks to you, do not neglect it. If He convicts you of a sin that you're in and wants you to repent of it. Repent doesn't mean just, just say, I'm sorry. No, that's saying you're sorry. Repent means turning away from it. If you turn away from it and ask God to forgive you, you will see that He'll speak to you more. If you don't repent from it and turn away, you're going to have these struggles the rest of your life. You deal with it and you deal with it quickly. He told Pharaoh, you have heard this thing twice. You better deal with this because this thing is going to come upon you fast. You've got to deal with it quickly. You can't let this stuff delay. You can't think, well... One day I'll become a believer. One day I'll follow Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. One day you can't do this. You've got to do it now. You've got to come to Him now. Do not delay on this thing. Do not delay. I am going to pray now. If you do not know the Lord, you pray with me and I will lead you into a place of salvation where you can get saved. We will do it right now. I'm not asking you. I'm just saying we will do it right now. Get saved right now. Don't let this thing delay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Oh Lord, there is power in your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can learn from Joseph. The way that he can, he can be so analytical in, in describing these things and describing the steps that need to be taken to mitigate the devastation that is destined to come upon the land, the devastation that you are bringing. There are steps that he took to save that land from the wrath that was coming directly from God. Father, I thank you that you provide a way out. You provide a way to get saved, to be spared of this destruction that comes upon lives, the destruction that comes upon our lives in this life, upon our families in this life, upon our children in this life. And then the destruction that comes upon our souls forever. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, O oh Lord, for that. And Lord, I pray 
that this very day, the unbelievers on this call would be saved. And if you do not know the Lord, you pray with me right now, out loud, out loud, speak this out as I pray, repeat with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I will submit to you, Lord. And I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with me during that time, I need you to... Uh, to Contact me. Send me an email to tour at rice.edu. Contact me and, and uh, uh, let me know. I just want to go back through this and just make sure. And I have a few questions to make sure. And I want to put you in a position where you can learn and grow.